As the children are heading off to their classes, why don't you grab your Bibles? We're going to turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians, it's in the New Testament. Somewhat towards the back, past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, keep going, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You'll get to Galatians, Ephesians, and then finally Philippians, one of those small books written by Paul, Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Make sure you have one. We need a Bible right here in front. Hey, Colin, you know me, I'll go grab two Bibles, one for here and one for there. Thank you. I'll call upon you. While you're doing that, um, overflow. Let me hear you say overflow. Very good. Overflow, because that's obviously the name of our campaign, and uh, it's, we sort of want to get you accustomed to what that's all about. Because I'm going to try to do a couple things from here out. I'm not going to say right here and right there. There you go. Thank you. Um, capital campaign, capital campaign. And we're like, what is that? And we keep hearing it. It's almost, it doesn't roll off the tongue like it should. Um, and we want you to get to understanding what's the purpose behind this. So overflow is the name of our campaign, so we're going to try to use that a little more often as we talk. So I want you to understand it, uh, what this is all about. Because I think a lot of times we look at this and say, okay, what, why, when, all these questions, okay? We're going to try to clarify that today because it fits right in with who we are. We want to get started on the right foot, okay? We want to get started in the right direction. I shared yesterday at um, Corey Norris had his wedding yesterday in Raylan, and, and I just shared with them as a couple, I said, listen, I, I want this wedding to get off the right, right foot, okay? And I shared with them a story, I don't know if you heard about this story, it just happened recently in Berlin. A couple on their honeymoon uh, had taken off, they stopped at a gas station, they were driving a minibus. He got out to gas up the vehicle, and while he's gassing up the vehicle, gets all taken care of, pays for it, pops back in the vehicle, heads down the road, about 125 miles down the road, he discovers that his bride, his wife, is not in the vehicle. He thought she was in the back of the minibus sleeping. No, she'd gotten out of the vehicle to go and use the restroom at the gas station. No phone, no money. She's a little stuck. And uh, now he's in big trouble. Um, what a way to start off the marriage on the honeymoon. Fortunately, the police tracked him down and he figured out she wasn't in the vehicle. Turned around, he felt really bad and she had a few words for him, and he had a few words for her. I'm sorry, and yes, dear were words that he quickly learned uh, in that marriage. Um, but that wasn't the right way to start. And then, I don't know if you heard this as well, but the Vatican uh, printed out this commemorative coin uh, just recently. And uh, it was just a few weeks ago, and they released it. And it was this beautiful commemorative coin, but they misspelled a word on there. Jesus. Now, I don't know how they did that, but they misspelled it, so they had to recall them all back. And That's not a good way to start off a commemorative coin when you misspell the name of Jesus on the coin. Uh, not sure how that happens, but we all make mistakes. There's all, you know, bad starts, good starts. We want to have a good start. We want to make sure we get off on the right foot. We want to make sure you fully understand. Will there be mistakes along the way? There probably will be. But I want to say this. I want to thank everybody that's been a part of the cap capital campaign, okay, overflow. It's just going to be hard for me. We're going to do it. Uh, for all those who have been a part of Overflow so far, um, thank you. You're doing a great job, fantastic job. Got a bunch of little um, committee groups that are working. And the, the, probably the biggest challenge for all of you is to work and understand how the left foot and right foot works together. And there will be little glitches here and there. But the prayer breakfast yesterday, thank you so much. Um, how that was put on and, and done really well. 
do not miss out on those upcoming things that as we have opportunity to share more with you. Um, you all should have received newsletters. If you haven't gotten one yet, I know we've got spares in the back, read those. Uh, it's a funny thing. You get those in your hands and then we say stuff and you're like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You had it in your hands the whole time, but you just didn't read it. Now, I'm guilty of that, okay? I'll tell you what, this is what happens. We get on an airplane, if you ever traveled before by airplane, you get on an airplane, the stewardess gets up front, and she tells you to pull out that little guide in case there's an accident, right? And what do we all do? Headphones on, pull out our own magazine. We don't pay attention because we're not going to get in an accident in this plane. We're not going down, right? So we don't pay attention. Now, if there's an emergency, what's going to happen? I'll tell you this, people aren't pulling out those, those you know, they're, they're, they're just freaking out, okay? They're not going to pull, well, step A, let's see, find the emergency access. Oh, yeah, she did two here. There, right? She did that, okay? So here's the deal. A lot of times we don't dig into things until an emergency comes up or all of a sudden it's like, oh, I should have done this. So I'm going to give you a fair warning ahead of time. Overflow has started. Read your newsletters. Be informed. Don't be the one sitting out there that says, I didn't know. Okay? That's your responsibility now. It's upon you. Okay? So if you don't know, that's, that was your choice. But we're going to tell you, there's some great stuff. Uh, the committees have put together some wonderful things. You need to know that on November 4th and 9th, there are two events coming up. And we want you at those events. It's part of our, when you're going to make a commitment. See, in the next three years, we're going to decide how we are going to give sacrificially. This isn't about how much money we can drain the church, okay? People have bad feelings about these kind of things. That's not what it's about. It's not about, well, let's, let's gain as much capital as we can to build a monument. That's not what it's about. This is about opening up the heart and sacrificially giving who we are. We are going to share our faith with people. We are going to grow in our faith, and we are going to sacrificially give. That's all part of overflow. Okay? And so for the next three years, as I've shared with you at church a few Sundays ago, this is what the Stump family is doing. Okay? We are planning out what we're going to do over the next three years to sacrificially give. So on November 4th and 9th, we're going to gather at one of these events. We're going to fill out a commitment card. Our family is planning to commit X amount of dollars over the next three years. We're going to turn that in. We're going to pledge what we plan to do. So you need to know about those events. And then in late November, it's going to be a Sunday called First Fruit Sunday. On that First Fruit Sunday, that's when we're going to bring in our offerings to start off our three-year overflow. And it's going to be our largest cash gift offering we ever get. So we've started setting aside money in our house for that, for that uh, offering. And we'll have envelopes here for you. Put it in. Because I know some of you give electronically in different ways. Just giving you a heads up on that Sunday. We're going to pass the offering plates. That will be the only time we're going to pass the offering plates for the rest of this year. We might do it twice a year. Okay? But just, you know, so you don't freak out. Like, plates, what's happening? Okay? Uh, the Lord must be coming back. Um, we're going to do that for that Sunday, for First Fruit Sunday. Okay? Gives you the opportunity to say, I pledge... Here it starts. Here we go. Let's, let's run with this. This is going to be awesome. Okay? So that's going to happen on that Sunday. From there out, over the next three years, we're going to give sacrificially. It's a part of overflow. Now, I want you to be aware of that. And again, what are we giving towards? The, well, the future ministries of this church. You know, we pray, hopefully, it's a, it's a new home ultimately for us. But it's for the future of this church. And now the question is, well, Why? Um, from here on, I'm going to try to, like I said, use the word overflow and, 
And I want you to understand why we are doing this. And that's why you're in Philippians right now. Okay? So let's, let's look at Philippians chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3. Philippians. No, I messed that up. Here we go. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to get you there. I'm going to get there. Where's the worship team at? Where is Dave at? <laughs> I was looking for him. I knew you guys have a big smile on his face. We had this discussion before service started this morning about all the flaws that I have. And they just keep rolling this morning. So let's just have fun with this, okay? Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Every time I think of you, this is Paul speaking, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you, and I make my request with a heart full of joy because you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Jesus Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm sure that God, who began this good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus comes back again. Verse 7. It is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. You have a very special place in my heart. We've shared together the blessings of God, both when I was in prison and when I was out, defending the truth and telling others the good news. God knows how much I love you and how much I long for you with your tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Now listen to this, verse 9. I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, those good things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ. And this will bring much glory and praise to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your scripture. I thank you, Lord, for your words. Lord, I pray that as we look at this, we have clarity in what it means to overflow. Lord, this isn't just a three-year campaign to overflow in our lives. This is our desire, is to have a life that's overflowing on a daily basis until the time we exit this earth and come into your presence. So Lord, help us to understand these words and these verses. Because we do want to have a life that overflows. In the name we pray, amen. Let's start this. Let's do some basic training here, okay? It sort of starts like, like this. There's a mission that Jesus Christ had. And I'm going to have Dan throw some scriptures on. Luke 19, 10, uh, John 3, 16, and Ephesians 2, 8 uh, through 10. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus Christ was on this planet, he made his mission very clear to everybody. He said, listen, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That was his mission, seek and save. All right, what an incredible mission. He came down here looking for people to bring to him to find salvation. Now, when we know from John 3, 16, we sit there and say, well, why would he do this? Why would Jesus come here to seek and save those that are lost? Because in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved. Let me hear you say love. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loved the world so much that he created. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I love this world so much, it is a mess. No doubt about it. Flawed and ugly, full of sin. But I love it so much that I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. So Jesus came then to seek and save those who are lost. And for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, they have eternal life. We know this from John 3, 16. So in response to this love, 
we have saving faith. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So let's read that. By, well, I'll read that to you. It says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God, not our works. Maybe you've memorized that verse when you were a kid, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it's by grace you're saved, not works. A lot of times we sit and think, well, what can I do? You can't do anything. God saved you. It was by his grace, his love, his goodness. We got what we don't deserve. That's grace. And that happens when we believe. We can't take credit for it. It's a gift. Verse 9 says that salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. Because a lot of people believe that. I'm a good person. I've done good things. Well, that's awesome. That's great. But according to Scripture, according to God's Word, that doesn't save us. That's not salvation. We can't boast about that. If it was, we could boast about it. But yet, even today, I think we hear people boast about salvation. Oh, man, when I shared my testimony with them, they gave their life to Jesus. Man, I saved them. That was awesome. But you didn't save them. You shared the message with them. It's Christ who saved them. Christ is the Savior. We're the messengers. That's the incredible thing is that God asked us to be a part of this. Invited us to be in that opportunity to share our faith. Verse 10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So we are now new in Jesus Christ. We're able to do these good things. We've been saved. Now, Jesus is not only our Savior, he's our Lord. Because he's our Lord, if you think back to medieval times, the kings and rulers and lords that would lord over them, what happens when you come into the presence of the king? You took a knee, you bowed, because they lorded over you. And you would obey their commands. Think that picture. Jesus is our Savior and Lord. He saves us from eternal death and separation. And now he is our Lord over us, who we obey. But it's not like a, a medieval king where he's going to take your head off if you don't obey. Our God's different than that, right? So here's the key things to know from this. One, we're saved by the grace of God. Look at the person next to you and say, it's the grace of God that saves us. Tell them. Awesome. That's good. We've got to tell each other that. We've got to remind each other that. Because again, when I share my faith with somebody, as which I, we got to witness that this past week. Um, some of the teenagers in this room... Wednesday night, they're out at Fields of Faith, which uh, Pastor Dan mentioned. Happy birthday, Dan. Go, go ahead in there. He hates it when I do that. Okay. Um, they had the opportunity out at their field to share with all these other teenagers. Now, who led that? Me? Nope. Pastor Dan? Nope. Other youth leaders? Nope. The kids. The kids did. Now, the worship team led the singing, okay? But it was the kids who read Scripture. It was the kids who say, hey, we're here tonight because of this reason. And then the kids got up and read scripture. And then the kids shared. And then a couple of our teenagers got up and they shared four basic things. It was really simple. There's a God who loves us, right? He loves us so much he wants us to be in his presence. There's a problem with us. We're messed up. We make mistakes. There's flaws in our life, okay? So we have sin. But God sent Jesus Christ to take care of those sins. We've got to place our faith in him. So they basically shared those four basic principles, obviously they extended a little bit more, but they shared that with all these teenagers in the football stands, which is really cool. Okay? They were being messengers for God. It wasn't them who were saving people, it was Jesus who's our Savior, but God was working through them to share the message of salvation. 
So that was an incredible thing to witness. So then Jesus becomes our Savior and our Lord. Now he's got a plan for us to follow. All right, repeat after me. God's got a plan for me. Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to nod your head. You don't have to say anything, but isn't that a good thing? Isn't that a good thing to know that God's got a plan for you? I want you to think about this. If you're sitting in school as a student and your teacher walks in, your teacher has a lesson plan. What would it be like if our schools and our teachers didn't have lesson plans? Kids just show up and do whatever they want to do. Now, I know some of the students are like, that'd be awesome. No, it wouldn't be. Because after a while, as much as that would be so great for those kids, those kids would eventually say, this is so chaotic. This is crazy. Somebody bring more here. This is no fun because people are getting hurt. We're wasting our time, okay? But praise God that our teachers have lesson plans to come in. Coaches have game plans. They just don't go out and do whatever. Again, you know, we were talking about cross-country. If I'm a cross-country coach, this is what I'm telling these kids to do. Run. That's all I would know how to tell okay? I would be a great cross-country coach, wouldn't I? No. Because there's so much more to that. And Dan's telling me about peaks and lows and this and that. And I'm going, and he's, you know, he's not a cross-country coach. He could be. But I'm sitting there going, well, there's a lot more to cross-country, isn't there? You know, and yeah. Wow. See, that's why I don't coach that. But see, a good coach has a game plan. that prepares your athletes to be successful. Businesses have business plans. They just don't go out and say, well, what should we do today? They've got a business plan to be successful. So if you look around, everything that works in an orderly fashion moving forward has a game plan. Guess what? God's got a plan for us. It isn't just like, well, hey, I, I believe those four things that you said, Rex, and, and I pray a prayer, and Jesus is my Savior, and now I just go do whatever, right? No, no, no. God's got a game plan for you. He's got a plan for you. For we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. He's got a plan for us, okay? Now, as a father, here's the deal. I'm excited to have three boys, okay? I really am. Now, if I had two boys and a girl, or three girls, or three boys, three girls, bring it on. Love it, okay? The fact is, I'm a father, and I love my children, okay? Now, but it's not just having children that makes me a proud father. Okay? Parents, you understand this, okay? Just because you have kids, that doesn't make you proud. Okay? It's seeing them contribute in multiple ways. That's when I, as a father, feel really good. Okay? It's good to see them productive at home, in society. Whether they're doing chores, whether they're helping somebody with a job, whether they're accomplishing something in school with their grades, maybe uh, volunteering with another teacher to help them out. Maybe they're involved in a leadership role. There's various things that I see my boys doing that they're, I would say they're being fruitful and productive, okay? That's what makes me proud as a father. Not just the fact that they're my children, but that I see them doing things as my children. And I was thinking about this. I believe it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. I believe our Heavenly Father looks down on us and says, yeah, you're my children, but you don't really know what makes me proud as your Heavenly Father. It's when I see you being productive as my child. It's when I see you doing these good things that I planned out for you long ago to do. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says this, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. It said that lamp is placed where it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16, therefore in the same way 
Let your good deeds shine out for everyone to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Listen to this. Let your good deeds shine. Look at the person next to you and say, let your good deeds shine. Okay, do it one more time, but this time, tell it to them like you really mean it. And for those of you that didn't look at anybody, look at somebody, tell them, let your good deeds shine. Go. <clears throat> okay. That's a command from Jesus. Those were Jesus' words. Those are red-letter words. If you got the Bible that has the red letters that Jesus spoke, those are red-letter words. Those are the words of Jesus. He says, let your good deeds shine. Go do that. Go do that. Why? Read on. For all to see. Well, I'm a really private person. I'm a very shy person. I get that. I was voted the shyest kid in sixth grade, okay? I busted out of that. I'm fine now, okay? But I was really shy at that one point in time in my life, okay? But here's the deal. Our good deeds aren't supposed to be shy things. Don't be taking your good deeds like that lamp and putting it under a basket. I don't want anybody to see my light. No, 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 no. God gave you a light, his light. That's him working through you. Let everybody see it. It's okay. You're not boasting and bragging. It's not about you. Okay? The good thing you just did, that's awesome. You're not patting yourself on the back. You are doing this. Why? So that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. That's the rest of the verse. Don't leave that part out. That's the important part. So that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. I do what I do for God. Not for me, not for you. That's the way it's got to be. So as a child of God, <clears throat> as one who has a Savior and Lord, I am making my Heavenly Father proud of me because of my obedience to Him. So I have to ask, is my life really reflecting my love for God? Because when I'm doing those things, I'm living obedience to God, and that's making Him proud. So now i got to step back and say, am I really being productive for God? And it's not about doing, doing, doing. It's about being. And when I'm being the child of God that I need to be, my life is naturally going to overflow with some doing. Okay? Because I know a lot of times as Christians, we have these checklists. Well, if I do this, I do this, I do this. Okay, throw the checklist away. Just be this. Be the child of God that God wants you to be. And as you are being that child of God, you'll be doing these things. Okay? But is my life reflecting that love for Him? Are my good deeds shining out for all to see? Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 7 again, okay? So it is right that I should feel about all of you as I do. For you have a special place in my heart. I love this. Paul's just pouring out to these people. This is one of the churches he was a part of. He goes, you share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and defending and confirming truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? Paul's excited about his Christian brothers and sisters. You know, there's a lot of things I like about Sunday morning or gatherings of the church. But here's the, the, the best part of the, what should be one of my best parts is when I see people come in and they've got a smile on their face as soon as they see somebody else. You know, if you're walking in here and you don't got a smile on your face, one, maybe it's because you had a bad day, okay? Two, maybe because you don't know anybody, okay? But if you're a part of a church or you're becoming part of a church, get to know people in the church because as you get to know them and you walk and you see them, first thing you do is like, man, it's good to see them. Kathy just lit up right away. That's, there she goes, big smile. You know, when you look around, you see people you know and love, there should be a smile there. There should be that kind of, man, it's good to see them. And then I like this too. Paul says, you've been praying for me. Paul addresses that. Miriam, you even said, thank you, know, thank you for the prayers. You know, and you need more, and you need more help. And then you thank for prayers. That's what Christians do. Thank you for praying for me. Keep praying for me. I've got a lot going on. Paul says, man, I've been in prison. I've been out of prison, in prison. I've, I've, I've shared my faith, and I'm getting arrested for it. 
you've defended me, you've stood with me. Thank you, church, for who you are. That's what Paul's doing here. He shares that he has a love for these people. So now he does this. He goes, you know what? I'm sharing my love for you. Now I'm going to share something very important with you, church. As he's talking to those in the church of Philippi. Important part of this prayer. He says this, verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Now, if this was the reading this out of a Greek text, it'd be like this. I pray that your agape love, your, that agape love, and explain it a little bit more, but will overflow, will be a super abundance and overflow more and more and more and more and more and more. I could go all day, okay? But Paul says, I, I need to find that word that uh, overflow more and more. I'm just going to use that word because that's what I'm trying to say. I could have written five books, two words, and more. This agape love that I started to say is, is a higher, finer, more excellent love than any other love. In fact, the word agape is filled with such deep emotion and meaning that it's probably one of the most difficult words in the New Testament and Greek language uh, to translate. Uh, trying to explain this word has baffled translators for years, uh, for centuries. Uh, agape basically occurs as when an individual, I, I tried to explain this to you, I remember a few years ago, when an individual sees or recognizes uh, or appreciates the value of an object or person, okay? So they see that. Such great respect is awakened in their heart. Love is awakened in their heart from the observer towards that object, that person or that thing that they are compelled to love on them, okay? This love for that, that person or object is so strong, it's basically an irresistible love. So if I was to behold an object and say, oh, I really, I just have an irresistible love to, to compel, to go do something for that person, that thing. That's the kind of agape love we're talking about. In the New Testament, perhaps the best example of agape love is a verse we already read, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. God looked down upon this world and he said, you know, I, I look at this human race and I stand in awe of mankind here. And I know it's flawed. I know it's messed up but it's also created in my image. We know that from the book of Genesis, right? So God admires man and he wonders at man and he holds man in highest appreciation even though at that point in time man is held captive by Satan. So God looks upon the world in his own image of man and the race is so precious to God and he feels so deeply and so irresistibly loved towards us that his heart is stirred to reach down and do something, and he does this. He goes, I'm giving myself, my son, to you. That's agape love. It's sacrificial love. It's, it's unselfish love. It's servant love. It's not about me. It's what can I do for you. It's Jesus in the upper room when he was with his disciples, and he took their feet, and he washed every one. Peter, come here. I know you're going to deny me three times. Let me wash your feet anyway. He didn't say that out loud, but Jesus knows everything, right? Andrew, let me wash your feet. Judas, you're going to betray me. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to love you anyway. He washed every one of those disciples' feet. He became the servant. The one who's, we know that at some point in time, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? We're going to be bound to him, okay? But in this moment in time, what does Jesus do? He bows and lowers himself to serve everybody else. And then he sacrifices himself on the cross just the next day. 
That's agape love. That's agape love, the highest form of love. Self-sacrificial type of love moves us to action. There's three other loves that are mentioned in the Bible. So when you read through the Bible and you read the word love, understand there's a Greek word behind it. It might be different. There's eros love, which is a self-seeking love. That's where we get the word erotic. Stergo is limited to one's family. It's a family-like love. Uh, phileo, which would be like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? That's based on mutual satisfaction. You can feel disappointed. So there's four different kinds of love you'll read through in the New Testament, but agape love, and you'll look through, when you find agape love, that's the love of God. The highest love you can imagine. No strings attached. Look, it's not looking for what can I get out of this? It's what can I give? And I thought about this, and I remember a few years ago with the church at Christmas time, we gave all the every family $20 back from the church. We just said, you know what? Go be the church. This is, this is what we're going to do as a church. Let's just do this for fun. Everybody's going to give you 20 bucks. We said, now go be the church. Go love somebody with the love of God. That, now, then I thought about this. I thought, what if, what if that was me? What if I decided I'll take my paycheck and I'll take my paycheck, divide it up, and give to every family my whole paycheck? I said, go be the church, okay? What if that was for me personally? And I thought about it, and I'm sitting there saying, oh, well, that would be fun, but what if somebody took that money and did something with it that I wouldn't have approved of? What if they would have went out and they just bought themselves a meal instead of going out and being in the church? Well, then that would have probably upset me a little bit. Made me a little bit emotionally frustrated because that, that, that money I gave to you to go do something else. Like, here's what I was thinking about when I was doing this and I thought, oh, huh, that's why God is God and I'm not. Because you see, God gave us life. He gave us gifts to be used to honor Him. He gave us His love to love others. Do we always do that with what He gave us? No. We fail at doing that, don't we? We fail at using His gifts. We fail at using His love in the way we should. But He still loves us. He still loves us. That's agape love. That's the highest form of love. That's why I sit there and say, if I was doing it, I'd probably, that human part of me would probably not be able to do what I probably should do. And why is it? Because I'm not loving in the way God wants me to love. That's a challenge, to have that kind of love. In Philippians, this is the prayer that agape love excels and exceeds and overflows. Paul says, I want you, as a church, to have that love. Let it flow. Let that love just flow and flow. Let's just keep going. Now, I want you to grow in knowledge and understand how really pure and blameless lives you can have. See, that allows us then to live out God's plan. Paul say, you know what? There is a plan. God's got a plan for you. You can't do it, though, if you do it without his love. I want you to understand you have that overflowing love. You can go live out those plans. You can let your light shine for all to see. God so you can get the glory. So I want to recap this, okay? This message, okay, this message this morning is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. If you're sitting in this morning, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this message is for you. Why? Because if you're connected to Christ, then you and I should be growing. We should be connected to Him so that now we are receiving His love and we're able to overflow and give it back, okay?
Second of all, this is a prayer. Philippians may have been a loving church, okay? They may have been one of those go-be-the-church-type churches, right? Okay? But here's the deal. Paul still prayed for them. They had room to grow. They hadn't reached it yet. Okay? Paul still prayed for more love. No matter how awesome we think we're doing, no matter how great we think we've come in the last couple months, guess what? There's more. There's more we can do. There's more we can do in reaching others for Christ. How many empty seats do we have in here? That's how many more people we can bring in to know Christ. Oh, and by the way, there's stacks of chairs in the back room. Uh, there's a gym that will seat twice as many. We're not done reaching people for Christ. Overflow more and more. And this is not a blind love or a freely love. This is a agape love, serving and self-sacrificial. Look at verse 10. For I want you to understand what really matters so you can live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So I want to wrap this up, okay? I've got two simple points. I want to wrap this up. Our lives should be reflecting an overflow love, okay? We have to ask this question, okay? What's keeping us from having an overflow? Why are we not agape loving everybody? Maybe we are, okay? I, the church from Philippi, they, they were. They were loving others. I believe we're loving others. I'm telling you, I'm encouraged by stories I hear, people I see, what you're doing, okay? But yet, Paul even said, hey, that's awesome, keep it up. But now I'm going to pray that you even have a more abundance, overflowing agape love. So us too, oh yeah, we're not done. Let's keep this up. We're going to overflow. Paul says in verse 10, I want you to understand. Translation, I want you to prove. I want you to test. I want you to examine. This word means oven tested. Let me hear you say oven tested. I'm not going to have you raise your hands. How many are you good with another? Okay. Don't raise your hands. Okay. I'm not. In ancient times, here's the thing. The biggest industry in the world was the pottery industry. Okay. And pottery varied in quality. Just as cards, office supplies, household items, everything varies, okay? Um, but the cheapest pottery was thick, it was solid, it didn't require much skill to make. Most archaeological finds, when they find them at these sites, they're finding the cheaper pottery because it was held together better. The finest pottery was thin, clear cutter, brought a high price and value. Fine pottery was fragile both before and after firing, and sometimes it would even crack in the oven as they were making this pottery. Now, cracked pottery should have been thrown away, but dishonest dealers had the habit of taking those cracked pottery, and they would fill in the cracks with this hard, pearly wax. Okay, so they'd fill in the cracks. You could sort of see, but most often it would blend right in with that pottery, so you couldn't really see where the cracks were. Plus, uh, this made the cracks undetectable because a lot of times then they would also maybe paint them or they would uh, maybe put some kind of coating over it, glaze, and then right away the wax was immediately undetectable, right? Wrong. If you took that thin pottery then, even though you look and say, oh, this is beautiful, and held it up to the sunlight, the cracks were seen. The flaws were displayed. Now, it's said that an artificial element was then detected, okay, whatever they used to fill that crack, by sun testing. Let me hear you say sun testing. So honest dealers would then mark their pottery 
with two words, sin, sira. That's S-I-N-E, and the second word is sira, S-E-R-A, meaning without wax. So the honest dealers who knew this was perfect, no cracks, no flaws, sin, sira. So I could pick it up and say, yep. Now, there could have been dishonest dealers out there that put in the cracks, glazed it, wrote sincere on it, but oh, you could tell, hold it up, sun test it, crack. This is not sincere. Okay. Paul's saying that the flaws in our lives, we tend to cover those up as Christians. Okay? Our lives are not perfect. We know this, right? We all have flaws. It's our discussion earlier today, which we've shown you. If you come to this church, if you're visiting for the first time, welcome to our church. Welcome to True North. We're quick and open and honest to say we have flaws. Okay? If you're looking for the perfect church, keep driving. Okay? We'll, we'll invest with you a motorhome because you will never find one. Okay? If, if, if you find a perfect church, guess what? They're not sincere. Okay? Right. We must be sincere without wax. Okay? Oh, sincere. That's where we get the word sincere. Yes. Now you're putting two and two together. Good. God's love will not flow through a Christian whose life is a sham. Hypocrisy stops the flow. When we are not sincere, when we're covering up our flaws, pretending we are perfect and everything, guess what? Overflow stops. Overflow stops. And that's why Paul was saying here in, in verse 10 what he said. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. I want you to understand. I want you to sun test this. I want you to make sure that your lives are pure and blameless. There's no cracks there. Okay, quit trying to cover them up. Second point. So what do we do about this? What do we do with our flawed, cracked lives? We have them. Okay, yesterday, during the wedding, I showed my flaws. I showed my humanity. Lindsay's already laughing. <laughs> hey, they had long vows. That's all I got to say. Their vows were longer than my message. As they were before me, husband and wife, Corey and Ray Lynn, repeat after me, da 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 da, and a long bow. Now, in my folders, a lot of times I have a smaller one for weddings. You see the three ring binders? Okay, well, um, I put in my message for them, put them in my three ring binder, a smaller one, and when I got to Ray Lynn's vows, I'm going along, and to be my faithful <gasps> hole punch, missing word. So I'm sitting there going, and be my faithful. My faithful, it felt like a pause forever. In the back of my mind, I'm going, you idiot, why did you proof this part? Why did you not just write the word in here? What are you thinking? Oh, this is really great. How embarrassing is it? Okay, now that's all transparent in my mind as I'm pausing. Faithful, <clears throat> friend, friend, good, and, uh, and we went on. And I'm, <laughs> got done, I'm going, what was I? It's so good to be human, isn't it? Okay. So here's the deal. Knowing that I am human, knowing that you are human, no, no, we all have flaws. What do we do? Look at the person next to you and say, what do we do? That's a good question. What do we do? Here's what we do. Here's the second point. Are we connected and growing? We've got to answer that question. Okay? Are we filled with the fruit of our salvation, the righteous character produced in our life by Christ Jesus, as Paul put it? We are called to be fruitful. We are called to bear much fruit. I'm not going to get into John chapter 15 because we just talked about John 15. Go back to John chapter 15 and read verse 1. Read verses 4 and 5. Read the whole chapter. Basically, here's the deal. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If we're not connected to Jesus Christ, we're not growing. 
Okay? We're not bearing fruit. We have to be connected to Christ. When Lawrence of Arabia was in Paris after World War I, he was with some of his Arab friends. He took them around and showed them the city. He showed them all the different things, the Arch of Triumph, Napoleon's tomb, the Champelies. They found all these things of, of little interest. He thought this was great. Look at this, look at this, ah, ah. You know what? You know what his Arab friends thought? Not interesting. You know what they thought was interesting? Oh, this is going to crack you up. They thought what was really interesting was the faucet in the bathtub at their hotel room. They thought that was interesting. They spent time in their bathroom in the, turn it on, turn it off, whoa, turn it on, whoa. Supposedly they spent too much time in there looking at this, okay? But they thought it was wonderful. They were trying to figure out how do you turn a handle and water comes out. Now sometime later it says that when they went to leave Paris and return back to the east, Lawrence found them in the bathroom trying to detach all the faucets in the bathtub. They're trying to take them home with them. And this is what they said. They said, you see, it's very dry in Arabia. Well, we need our faucets. If we have them, we'll have all the water we want. They thought all you got to do is just take that faucet. You get, in, get home, hey, they were very, they were going to be very discouraged and very displeased when they got home and found that's not the way it works. So basically, Lawrence of Arabia explained to them the effectiveness of the faucets do not lie in themselves. See, the faucets have to be connected to this water line, which is connected to a larger pipeline, which eventually, hey, let's talk rainfall and the melting of the Alps and where water comes from. We have a God. What's agape love? He's poured it down upon us. He gives everything we need. Through Christ, we learned about that. Christ left and gave us his spirit. His spirit now dwells in the temple, our body. Our ability to overflow comes from God. But if we're not connected, nothing's coming out of this faucet. You know what I'm saying? So, as children of God, let me ask you this. Are we connected to God? Are we cleansed by God? Are there impurities running through us? We're being hypocrites. We need to clean that up. We're called to live an overflow life. Paul prays for us. He prays that for all believers. Our lives as believers should be the same. We need to pray for one another. Encourage one another. But we need to do this with that agape love. Let's make sure we're connected to God. And over the next week, months, years, centuries, however long it is until Christ returns, Let's pray that this church is an overflowing church. Amen? Please stand. Let's pray. Worship team, go ahead. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for being an awesome, incredible, agape God. Thank you, God, that you have poured out your love upon us. And you did that example through your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, that in the midst of our flawed lives and mistake lives, boy, we, you know, we, we definitely don't have it all together at times. You remind us that you want to fix those. And you want to help us. But we've got to make that choice to bow our knees to you.
stop trying to be the Lord of our own lives. Lord, I know you are the Savior of our lives. But we as believers who have been saved also have to ask, but are you the Lord of our life? Have we really bowed a knee to you and said, my life is yours. Now take my life. Let me love others. Let your love flow through me so that I can share you with others, so that I can read your word, and I can continue to pray, and I can give sacrificially. I can be connected with others and challenge them because I'm connected to you. Lord, I pray that our love overflows more and more as we live these pure and blameless lives. And that through the fruits of righteousness, we can serve you. Thank you, God, for this church. Help us, Lord, as we walk out of here, Lord, to stay connected to you, to let your love flow through us. Thank you for this time of worship, Lord. We sing to you now. In the name of Christ.